Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and world. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Global Impact. Serving the World Through Mutuality Matters podcast, a podcast of CBE International. I'm thankful to introduce to you my co-host, Kimberly Dixon. Hello. And today we will look again at the impact of egalitarian theology on human flourishing from leaders around the world to learn from them, to be encouraged by their life and their service to Christ. And this week we are terribly and gratefully uh, honored to welcome uh, Brad Tweet. Yes, we get to have Brad Tweet today, who serves as Executive Vice President of Global Support at International Justice Mission, IJM, which I have been a big fan of for a very long time. IJM is a nonprofit organization dedicated to protecting people in poverty from slavery and other forms of violence. A lawyer by training, Brad started his service at IJM as a volunteer legal fellow in Kampala, Uganda, and Guatemala City, Guatemala. He then stepped into over a decade of leadership in IJM's Latin America region, leading IJM's program aimed at violence against women and children in Central America as Guatemala country director and as Northern Triangle Regional Vice President. Brad and his wife, Regine, returned to the U.S. in 2022 after residing in Guatemala City for nearly 11 years, and Brad received his JD from the Columbia University School of Law and joined IJM after a legal career in both New York City and Chicago. So Brad, you had a whole life and then joined IJM. We'd love to hear about it. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Kim, and thank you for the invitation. We can't wait to hear your stories. And I'm hoping that for all of those in our audience who don't know of the good work of International Justice Mission, or IJM as most of us call it, could you briefly share who IJM is and what they do, particularly regarding their work with girls and women? Sure. Um, as you mentioned, our mission is to protect people in poverty from violence. Um, and we do that across the world and a number of, of developing countries. Um, our focus is on, but to provide that kind of protection, our focus is on improving the, the performance of the justice systems in those countries uh, so that people who are vulnerable, women and children, um, people who are exposed to the, the risk of slavery can rely on those systems to protect them uh, and to give them justice when necessary. And we also work with the communities um, within which these vulnerable people live so that the communities too can provide a major, uh, you know, a bridge to the justice system that's effective, but also kind of a protective embrace of the people who live in those communities who might be in situations of vulnerability. We work in Latin America and Africa in the, in the area of violence against women and children, and in East Europe, uh, the Asia Pacific region and South Asia, and a little bit in Africa too in, in human trafficking. Yeah, I interacted with IJM a little bit in India when I worked in India with their Calcutta work. They do great, great work. Great work. Huge program. Yeah. 
So, Brad, can you explain to us what is meant by the Northern Triangle and the work that IJM does in this region, as well as your role in that work? Sure. So the Northern Triangle, I don't understand. I take a look at the map. I don't see a triangle. Um, <laughs> I call the map in all directionally in all different ways. Um, but the Northern Triangle basically is a subregion of Central America comprising uh, El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. Um, so those are the three countries that are part of that Northern Triangle region. Our work there was uh, protecting women and children and continues to be protecting women and children from violence uh, with a focus on that justice system strengthening um, the engagement, the effective uh, uh, capacity building and engagement of communities so that communities become safe and also survivor empowerment. So those are sort of the three principal components of the work we do in that area to protect women and children uh, from violence. My role um, as country director, uh, I, uh, I led the Guatemala program, but then later the role expanded to vice president of the Northern Triangle region. And it was simply to provide leadership to an amazing team uh, who was working real hard uh, in reliance on God, uh, but working real hard to accomplish that uh, protection that we so desperately seek. And, and, and my approach to leadership um, my definition, my favorite definition of leadership is to take the responsibility to enable others to achieve a common purpose under difficult, uncertain circumstances. And so um, my my principal job was to do what I could do to enable an amazing team uh, to resolve this problem, achieve that common purpose of, of achieving protection of people who are in vulnerable circumstances um, in conditions that definitely were uncertain and, uh, and challenging. Yeah, I, as I listen to you, um, I think I'm sure it was challenging. Could you, I know this isn't one of our questions, but I'm wondering if you could give like practically when you say enabling the justice system, are you working with the police departments? Who are you working with? And what kind of challenges are, are your teams facing when with who they're working with? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so when we in that component of strengthening justice system, what we're looking to do in, especially in the space of violence against women and children, is to get the justice system to respond immediately to provide some kind of protective relief to someone who needs it in that moment, right? So if a victim shows up and files a complaint in a police station, but there's an assessment of the risk of the woman, and there's, a, there's an analysis of what steps can be taken to provide immediate attention to her security needs right then, right? Um, so that's part of it. Um, and then also that there's a dignification of the victim in every time she interacts with the justice system, whether it's mm. the taker of the complaint, it's a prosecutor down the road. So it's dignification of the victim, an assessment in response to immediate security needs. And then it's looking for a quick arrest. So we need a lot more arrests a lot faster. And then the same thing with convictions. We need a lot more convictions a lot faster to create that confidence and reliance on the population and the justice system um, and to create a deterrent effect so that perpetrators or, or, or would-be perpetrators are the ones who now are in fear as opposed to their victims or potential victims. So that means that, to answer your question, um, yes, we work with the police, uh, but we also work with prosecutors, uh, we work with the judicial system, and we work with community activists. Uh, we work with all of them to um, focus in on those key components and make sure those things are happening so that a, a, a minimum standard of protection can be provided and counted by people who are men. 
Wow. It sounds like you're almost doing like a whole cultural sea change, a big shift in how this is approached, which then brings me to my question. Um, what are, why are women and girls, what are their particular challenges in this? I mean, that's what you're focusing on. So why is it women and girls? Well, violence in, in those three countries, violence against women is by far the most prevalent crime of violence, uh, by far. There isn't anything that's close. Um, second is violence against children um, in those three countries. And so it's, a, it's, it's the principal problem of violence in those countries. And, um, and it's not just random violence. So, you know, in a lot of countries, you've got levels of, you've got deep levels of poverty, struggles with addiction, gang presence, and, and all those kinds of things. And, and those naturally will cause uh, violence in the communities. I mean, you can trace a lot of violence to that, but we're not talking about that kind of randomized violence. We're actually talking here about violence where women and children are targeted. And what that comes down to is um, a, like a, a cultural norm where violence by men against women, violence by men against children is, is actually accepted or at least tolerated. And in, in, in so that people don't, um, people don't act affirmatively to combat it. And I really trace that all down to, I think mean, we, we trace that all down to the, uh, an issue of power. Um, machismo, you know, in Latin America, machismo is, is um, present everywhere from the homes, through the churches, through uh, all the institutions of power. There's a sense of machismo, which simply means that there's an imbalance of power between, between men and women. Um, so if you look at power, um, you have people, all of us have power, right? All men, right. all women are given power by God. We're created. We have creative power. We're created by God in his image, a man and woman. Uh, we all have inherent power and inherent dignity that comes from that creation. Um, but certain people choose to use their power as power over other people to control them, to take from them, um, as opposed to use their power with others to try to achieve uh, kingdom purposes. And so that, what you see in a lot of the Latin American countries, and certainly true in the Northern Triangle, is a, this, this, this strong sense of power of men over women, over children, um, permeating all of society and, and being largely accepted, which has that name, machismo. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So this is... Your work then, it seems to me, requires thoughtful and prayerful strategy, both long-term and in the moment. And so my question to you is, how do you think, Brad, is speaking to you in these situations, how do you prepare for it spiritually? Obviously, your team is very dedicated and you work collaboratively, but in the moment and then long-term, how is, how is God in this situation as you see it? Well, we we believe that God is in it all, um, uh, and and that this is really work that each one of us, as 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 people who, who desire to imitate Christ and and to serve as His body, uh, we really believe that we're all really called to this very specific work. Uh, we are deeply, deeply reliant on prayer. Um, every office of Guatemala throughout the throughout the globe um, sets aside an hour of work time every single day uh, to go to God. And so we take a half an hour 
uh, every morning and to to pray in community. Um, I and love that. We used to do that physically pre-COVID, um, but now we, but we still have maintained that practice of coming together as a community for half an hour and pray. Prayers of gratitude, prayers of petition, um, uh, and then we have another half an hour every day where we individually um, uh, just are, we have quiet time with God, and so we can all spend that how we want, reading the Bible and you know, personal prayer. So as an organization, we invest a lot in 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 uh, in prayer, in 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 um, keeping our focus on the, on on the fact. That the work that we seek to do is way too big for us, and that we need to go to the the source to the to the being whose work this actually is, and to the source of all power that can enable the the miracles to happen to accomplish these these um, these transformations. So prayer. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just kept thinking, you know, this is a you're you're out there fighting the physical battle but it's a bigger battle than that so the power of Jesus through prayer the holy spirit working through you is i'm so glad that your focus to start in midday is prayer or well a lot of our offices too and i know we did it in Guatemala but i think they all have different customs and practices where we also celebrate celebration is a big part of the work that we do um so that when we see god at work uh, whether it could just be in a small way and giving us a meeting that we were a meeting that we really needed or a, or a huge thing in the passage of major legislation. We try to, as soon as possible, stop, pause, celebrate that, call it out, thank God, and then get back to work. And we do, and we lament too together because there are hard things that happen. And so we come together and we actually have a, a lament practice within IJM to help us kind of work through some of those things that are tremendously, tremendously difficult. I love that. I was just, I was thinking too, oh, this sounds like you're working through the Psalms where you stop and you celebrate and then that refuels you and reminds you of who's in charge, but then you have to lament. And the next thing you said, and we lament, we have a process for lamenting. I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. It's so great. We're going to take a quick break right now to see what CBE is doing and we'll be right back. CBE International presents Women in Scripture and Mission. In the early church, an apostle was one who had known and traveled with Jesus, receiving first-hand teaching and discipleship. Their testimonies were highly valued. Paul says that Junia and her husband Andronicus were prominent among the apostles and praised them for sharing in imprisonment and suffering with him on account of their testimony of Jesus. Learn more at RadioWomen.org. Well, we're back with Brad, and we are wondering, were there pivotal events in your life, personally or professionally, that shaped your views on power and women and girls, which basically we would call Christian patriarchy? I mean, I'm very interested since you kind of had this whole life and then you joined IJM, how all of that kind of worked together. I think the thing that influenced me um, the most and that was just the household I was raised in, and perhaps that's the best place to be influenced with that kind of thing, right? Just to have, just to be surrounded with, um, surrounded. Um, well, in my case, I had parents who were both very strong leaders in their own way. Uh, a father who was a tremendously, was a very successful businessman, a, a tremendously strong individual uh, who viewed my, my wife as a partner in everything um, and a co-equal in everything. And the decision-making was made together. 
and they just had a love that was both romantic and and, and but but also very um, just rooted in, in deep 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 respect. Um, and I think that modeled it more than anything else. And it's not an event per se. It's just the good fortune of being uh, born into a family that modeled that that healthy balance of, of power and, de- and and affirmative demonstrations of respect. It almost, when you see the opposite of it, when you've been raised in it, 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 it kind of alerts you to something's not right here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you say that, I mean, I think of a young woman who was a client of ours. Um, and there's a video of where she tells her story. And I, and I saw it again recently. It's just so powerful. But she talks about how um, her, her biological father had left the family when she was young. And then when she was around eight, he returned. Um, and he almost immediately started raping her. Um, and he told her the first time, I am your father, so I can do with you whatever I want. Uh, you know, so this was his sense of his power as a male in the household, that, that power over. Um, and it's just when I, when I first heard that story, I just wanted to weep. Um, because I'd never, in my personal experience, I mean, I'd never seen anything like that. Um, and to, to, for her to have to grow up in that kind of home where that abuse lasted for three, three years, um, it's just horrific. So I'm very grateful for the for the modeling that I had. Yeah. So Brad, you talked about your parents, and you talked about the women that you have served and work with. But is there sort of a significant individual who informs your outlook? apart from those you've already cited, regarding women's value and equality in the work that you do? Well, um, we have, I wouldn't be able to point to any one particular woman other than my mother, who was a <laughs> very influential person. And she was a, she was a very influential po- uh, person in the political world and held positions of leadership in, in that world, both elective and non-elective. And so she really, I really, she really, uh, was the biggest example of that to me pre IJM. I had very strong uh, female partners when I was in a law firm uh, that I really looked up to and respected the work that they did. But in IJM, I mean, remember, our Krista Hayden Sharp is the president of our of our um, uh, APAC region, Asia Pacific area region. Uh, Sharon Cohn Wu is the president of the of the La- of the North America region. Uh, which doesn't do programming per se, but does, you know, uh, resource building and partnership building, that type of work. Tremendously strong individuals, um, tremendously uh, strong leaders in the spiritual sense, uh, deeply read in the Bible, deeply spiritual, so able to lead all of us in, in worship and Bible study and just in walking the Christian walk through their example and their, and their teachings. Uh, but then also in the work, uh, tremendously powerful. Sharon Cohn Wu was one of the original employees of IJM and has mm-hmm. served in a number of different roles and has had tremendous impact in, in what IJM looks like today. Very much of that can be traced to, to her work. And I had amazing women in Guatemala that I, I was able to work with. A young woman, Stephanie Espinosa Sparks, who sold everything she had other than her Christmas decorations. Uh, she was a young <laughs> lawyer. Uh, Literally sold everything she had so that she could come down to Guatemala and volunteer as a lawyer uh-huh. and was just so strong as a leader in terms of relational leadership that we ended up having no choice but to bring her on to staff. And she led many programs in the office um, um, uh, on staff. 
and a young woman who was uh, one of, uh, the head of our legal program at one point, uh, Jessica Ortiz, who um, the field office director at the time asked all the people who were interviewing for this position, would you be willing to give your life to do this work? And Jessica was the only one who answered yes. In a lot of different ways, she kind of did uh, give her life. I mean, she was just so dedicated and such a strong leader to the the evolution of the office and the achievements in the office. I've had so many examples of strong women throughout my my career. It's hard just to say, is this one person? Well, actually, just the way you described it is beautiful because it lets you see when you give these women the uh, opportunity to use their gifts and their passions, it just, it's beautiful and you all benefit from it. And you, you just naming woman after woman after woman, I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And the other thing that we hear in our interviews so much, and I just want to do a shout out to moms, these people that are working so hard, that are giving their life to this amazing work have done great great things. They've been inspired by their moms. We hear this over and over and over. It's like, okay, women, you're having an impact sometimes when it doesn't feel like it, but I'm like, oh, there's another one. Brad, just add him to the list. (laughs) That's great. Um, I'm wondering, um, this year, CBE International is having their um, conference in Brazil. So we're really interested in what's going on in the Spanish-speaking world of Latin America and the Portuguese-speaking world. And um, so your interview right now is really interesting as we think about it. And as as you've worked in that region of the world, and even in IGM in a broader context, have you seen changes because of IJM's work? and even in the Christian milieu of international nonprofits that are working on the ground, um, so Christian organizations and leaders that are addressing these underlying issues of power and patriarchy that are making these the ones with the least amount of um, power in their communities so vulnerable. Are you seeing changes there? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a trend line that I think is generally positive. I'm an optimist, right? So I, I, I'll tend to see that slant going up as opposed to down. I mean, Good, that's of, what I want to hear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 10 years ago, Gary Haugen, our founder, wrote a book called The Locust Effect. And the basic principle of it was that all development efforts are are threatened by violence. Um, and the idea of the locust effect was violence can descend on a community like a horde of locusts, right? And just destroy all the other good work that's being done there. Girls don't go to school if they're at risk of being raped on the way to school and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And how and, and and he said, we really we really have to start taking seriously this idea that we have to stop violence. That's indispensable to the fight against poverty. And it was a very powerful argument in the book. He gave a TED talk on it. And we've, and I think we've actually seen a lot of change in 10 years where people actually have heard that message from Gary and others and have actually started investing. Organizations that traditionally were more development oriented are now adding an anti-violence component to that. In, in Guatemala, in the Northern Triangle, we, we did a lot of work. We were able to do a lot of work with World Vision, Compassion, and a lot of other organizations who are principally development type organizations who take the question of violence seriously. So I think that's a that's a strong trend line. Mm-hmm. In terms of IGM's work itself, uh, we're 25 years old now. Um, 
we spent a lot of time experimenting, and I think we can confidently say that we have the basic components of a, of a, of a model that actually has been proven to work. In the human trafficking space, we've seen reductions in, in, in prevalence of the crime, which is ultimately what we're seeking, because that's yeah, the ultimate deterrence, amen. or that's uh-huh. the ultimate protection, right? Is deterrence that prevents crime. We've seen prevalence um, decrease, and we've studied, we've got independent studies that document this by 82% in a particular area in India, 92% in a particular community in Cambodia, and 79% Project Lantern in the Philippines. A significant reduction in the, in the prevalence of crime. So we think it's not just IJM, but it's IJM working with governmental and non-governmental partners, showing that this kind of this kind of protection is in fact possible. And I think you mentioned churches and, and I, that could do, be a whole program. Um, <laughs> um, we have a lot, we have a lot of strong in all of our programs, a lot of strong church partners um, hmm. who are doing what they can and are doing a lot of really good things. Uh, the vast majority really aren't doing very much, unfortunately, yet. And I think that's where we need, we do need to see a, a, a lot of work. We need to see the spirit move in that space. And I think really talk about the, those issues that we, I kind of mentioned at the beginning of power. Um, you know, it's not enough to talk about who's the head in the family and all those things. I mean, Jesus, you know, Jesus said, those people who have power and authority, you know, leaders of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, right? And he said, that's not what you are to do. So if you have power, if you have authority, what are you supposed to do with it? You're supposed to become a servant, sacrificially so. And I just don't think that enough of the churches that we work in, in the areas that we work are talking to men about that and the, and the broader church. Um, it's not enough to ask the question, who has power? Honestly, we all have power of some mm-hmm. sort, right? The question is, what do we do with it? What do we mm-hmm. do with it? And we're, we're supposed to do with it. Jesus made clear over and over and over again through his word and his, and, and his example, what we're supposed to do with it is glorify God, right? Mm-hmm. And benefit other people. And that's what we're not supposed to do it for our own status and privilege. And so, I, I mean, honestly, I've, I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but I've sat in some men's group where it's just sort of like, I, I, I hear men say, well, we're the head of the family. And I feel like that's a point of pride to them. And then there's no further analysis beyond it. Well, no, but what does that mean? There's, that's not a question of entitlement. That's a question of responsibility to the extent. Amen. Leadership. What's your responsibility? You know, as a follower of Christ, as someone who, who, who wants to imitate Christ, what's your responsibility with respect to that? That public? Thank I you. Love it. You know, your your call to men is, in some ways, a call for them to become true allies to women. And maybe that's your hope for the future of girls and women: is that there's a vision for men and women with men with cultural power to ally with women, to serve them, to put their needs first, to elevate their gifts and voice and to protect and to be protective of a culture that doesn't exert violence um, and exploit women and girls. But that's, I'm putting words in your mouth. What would you say? No, I, well, I'd say amen. Um, you know, you made me, when you were saying that, I thought of two particular people. One was a father of a young girl who was a client of ours who had been sexually assaulted by, if I recall correctly, a neighbor. In most cases, I never met the fathers. Usually it was hmm. a mother that came to the office. This father was there for everything. Um, and it just, 
it just melted my heart because he was showing a father's love to this young girl and helping her overcome this horrendous trauma that she had suffered and really being a strong father alongside her. And the other person I thought of was a fellow who was uh, the, um, the adult. We have a we 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 founded a a, a, a a survivor group in Guatemala, adult survivors of child sexual assault called Mi Historia Importa, which means my story matters. Um, and there was one woman who came and her husband always, always accompanied her, always, <laughs> through it all. He was he was at her side at every step of the way and helping her kind of come out of this trauma of this and of the violence that she suffered. And, 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 and finding her story and the power in her story. And she became a very forceful advocate, uh, as a survivor, um, always with her husband at her side. So yes, I think that is a real, that's a calling. And then I think, uh, I hope we'll hear Thank in the you. church and outside it. Thank you so much. Wow. I, um, I really don't want to end this interview because I feel like, ooh, that could take me down a road. I want to hear more stories. I want to hear more stories. But um, we are going to have to cut it short. And Brad, we just thank you so much for your time that we could just pick your brain a little bit, hear a little bit more about what IJM is doing, especially in the Global Triangle. As you said, when I heard you worked in the Global Triangle, I looked at my map and I thought, hmm, I'm, I'm interested in how he's going to explain this. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> um, essentially because our conference is going to be in Brazil and we're we're just becoming more and more aware of what's going on in the Spanish speaking world, but also very aware of how the Holy Spirit is moving so powerfully in the Spanish speaking world. I'm so hopeful in what God's going to do. And I love how you outline kind of the theology that needs to be happening in the churches and the men's groups, more steps that need to be taken. And yet some great victories, like you said, some great progress and some great changes. So thank you so much for joining us. It's thank you, Brad. My pleasure. Okay, Kim. So how is it possible that every human being we interview has such a profound engagement with their culture, with women and children on behalf of justice and the and the presence of God. I I can't tell you how much I enjoy talking to Brad. You, what do you think? Oh, I I was really looking forward to this interview because I've been such an admirer of IJM for so long. And then when I read his bio before the interview, I thought, oh, I can't wait to hear what he has to say. And he did not disappoint. Mm -mm. I, I just... He, even when I think the theology is what really um, blew me away. Like, what is this thing about headship? You know, he's like, that shouldn't even be the issue because even if it is, it means sacrificing yourself in servantly, you know, and being a servant and the churches really need to learn this. I just thought, oh, that approach. And that is honestly, it seems like what, um, motivates the work, you know, when, when you're focused on being the manly head, it turns into violence and they're working against this violence to, I loved how he said, to bring dignity to the victims. Right. Well, we interviewed uh, Gary Hagen. Gary Hagen was a keynote speaker at CBE's 2005 conference in Philadelphia, and oh. he he spent most of his workshop celebrating 
one of his great heroes, which is Catherine Bushnell. Really? And, yeah. And in his very first book, The Good News About Justice, or is it Injustice? But anyway, he talks, he spends a third of that book focused on his model and mentor, which is Catherine Bushnell. And then he talked about the the travesty of the uh, genocide in Rwanda and how God led him to a place sort of on top of the destruction of lives and how Catherine led him through that process through her faith and her vision for justice. Wow. I mean, in a sense that makes, that makes good sense because Catherine Bushnell, um, what motivated her to dig into what the scripture originally says was Mm -hmm. her own devastation of human trafficking of Mm -hmm. women and girls. And so when IJM started with its focus on victims of human trafficking, yeah, they would be, I would, I could see how Catherine Bushnell would be the huge motivator for that. Right. And and she definitely pushes back on the translation of Kefale as head which yeah. came up in our conversation today. And I, I was really very moved by his anticipation that women will have voices, that they have something to say, and that men are allies, but we need more of them. Yes. And his rejoicing with all of the incredible staff and teammates that he has been able to work with and work under and the inspiration and what he's learned from them. It really just speaks to how we all flourish better when everyone's gifts are celebrated, when they're allowed to come to the surface, when they're allowed to be experienced and used, it benefits everyone. Yeah. And I think too, the um, call to lament and Mm the call to shout out to God and celebrate. I'm working on a committee now where a lot of that happens and it's very organic and natural, but I think for some people you really have to build a practice to lament and celebrate. And he talked about that, which, you know, Uh I just, I stopped in my tracks and I went, right, right. (laughs) Yes. It actually reminded me also of an interview that Angela did, um, and I can't remember who she was interviewing, but they just wrote a book on the Psalms and it was in the context of the African-American experience, but, and which again, reminded me of Martin Luther King Jr. and Howard Thurman and the idea that you have to lament, you have to lament what's going on and be honest about it. But then you also have to stop and praise and rejoice at the victories. And that's what feeds your soul so that you can keep doing the work. And it's this cycle. And it, the uh, the American white church is really not very good at lamenting. We always think we need to be praising and thanking God. But scripture is full of lament. And that's part of a healthy spiritual life. And that's what gives you know, IJM is in, they are seeing the hardest things there in the dirt and that, that lament and then the praise is what gives them the strength to move forward. It does. It definitely was a podcast to remember. And thank you so much, Kim, for connecting all of us to Brad and his work. And IJM and CBE have somewhat of a long history through their founder and his passion to see women and girls elevated to levels of dignity and equality. Yeah, that was good. All right. 
Well, audience, we want to thank you for joining us um, one more time as we got to listen to Brad Tweet talk about the great work that IJM is doing. And so we'd hope you stay tuned as we bring more new episodes to you every week from all of our different teams that focus on different aspects of mutuality. But in the meantime, go to our show notes and we'll have all kinds of uh, resources for you to see, ways you can follow our guests and find links to organizations, books, and resources that may have been mentioned in this interview. Also, check out our website at www.cbeinternational.org, where you can access the world's largest collection of egalitarian content, watch videos, and listen to audio of past conferences and events. And you can subscribe to our blog, our magazine, and our academic journal. Or just visit our bookstore, which contains tons of talented authors and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. I am Kimberly Dixon. And I'm Mimi Haddad. And we would like to thank Landon, our support tech, and the team at CBE International that makes this podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening. And hope to see you in Brazil. God bless. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers. 